It's not enough to do nothing. And sometimes it's just time to do something. Amen? Bring these lights. Yeah, there we go. I was feeling a little off balance there for a second. Yeah, and, and that's always the question, is it not? It's like, what, what should we do? And, and we're going to be looking at that this year as an emphasis in, in uh, Word Walk and World, Ministry and Missions. What is it that we do on a regular basis that meets the needs of others? And, and, uh, but often we're, we're left with the question, what do we need to do? What should we do? How should we do it? When should we do it? Today, a hundred million people, that's a lot of people, a hundred million people will watch the Chiefs beat the 49ers. Well, you know, certain things go on in my mind that just, you know, some of it's just a hope and a prayer, you know, and I don't know if God hears those prayers, but, you know, it has been 50 years, so the 49ers could throw us a bone here, you know, just a bit. But but think of that, 100 million people, like just under a third of, of the United States of America in population will watch that game. That's a lot of people. That's what they'll be doing today. 
and it'll cause all kinds of consternation, will it not? We're going to get mad at refs, and we're going to love our chili. But, but all the things, 100 million. You know, being right on track is important to us, being right in the center of God's will, right where we believe that he would have us to be, knowing where uh, that, that we are going and what is required. It's, it's important to us. M- many years ago, uh, I was driving in my little Fiat X19. I had a Fiat, a lot of people don't know what a Fiat X19 is, but it was a little sports car. I had it when I was about 18 or so. And uh, I was driving, and I was on Beach Boulevard down in Orange County, and I was going to get on the 405 freeway. And, and they have those, like, circular get-on-the-freeway ramps, if you've ever been down there. So I got on that circular ramp. I came around, and as I came uh, up and was wanting to merge to my left, uh, a car come up alongside me and kind of kind of held me in, spa- in, in my space, and I couldn't merge over, so I hit the exit. <laughs> and instead of getting on the freeway, I was doing another little loop. You ever done that little loop, an extra loop? And, and then as you come around, you can go under the freeway and hit another loop. I figure I'll do this again, and I'll get back where I was. And so I did that, and then I did this one, and then I got a little dizzy. <laughs> And as I made my loop around the next one, I, I, I came and, and I, I, missed my, I missed my on-ramp again. And I was, I was caught in that proverbial going in a four-leaf clover uh, on the 405, kind of stuck in that mode. And obviously, I finally did get off on the southbound 405. I mean, you know, or I wouldn't be here now. I'd just be doing those circles right there on the 405. Sometimes that's what our lives feel like. Sometimes we feel like we're on, we, we can't get off that, that race. We can't get off that, that uh, on-ramp or off-ramp or we're trying to get in the lane that God's uh, pushing us towards that he wants us to be in, but we just can't get there. And, and, and hey, wouldn't it be great if we just could wake up in the morning and know that we're headed right in the right direction? I mean, like today, wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, we want that personally, yes, but but corporately, we want to know that we're headed a direction. Where are we going? Who are we? What are we about? What is our vision? What is our mission? Where are we going? You know, to meet our goals. Do you guys still make goals? You say, hey, it's February, dude. That's like, that's so January of you. To, to make goals, you know, to, 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 to set out where God might be taking us personally even or even corporately this year toward the goals and the, the really important things in our lives that are just important to us, that matter the most to us. To be absolutely confident that we're headed in the right direction. All too often, we rethink a decision we think, oh, I had to do that. Well, maybe I shouldn't. Well, I think I should. But then, you know, you think about it in the morning, and then by the time you get up, nah, not going to do that. We, we might even sense a desire to desperately follow God's will. And, 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 and we pray and we believe, and, and then we feel uncertain at times, nearly paralyzed even uh, in, in not wanting to make the wrong move. I don't, I don't want to go the wrong way. I'm really seeking God on this, and I, I know he has a, a, a plan for me and a direction, but I, should I, shouldn't I? I don't know. Many wrestle with the indecision and the insecurity that comes from not knowing exactly which way to go on how to move forward in searching for help and answers. And it goes without saying, or it should at least go without saying, that we seek God's word for our help, don't we? We go to God's word. You may remember this psalm. It said, oh, Lord, I give you my life. I trust in you, my God. Do not let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. No one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced. 
but disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. Show me the right path, the right path, O Lord. Point out the road, point it out for me, the road for me to follow. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you, Lord. That's a good prayer, isn't it? There's a story told of a symphony concert, and it was held in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and one of the pieces that were featured was a, it was a flute solo. The solo was to be played off stage, so that it, it sounds like it was coming from far away. Nobody would see the flutist or the flautist however you like to say that, uh, it would be played off stage. So the flutist would count the measures of the music precisely in order to come to just that exact time off, off stage. And there could be no visual contact between him and the conductor uh, as a, and the performer. They, they couldn't see each other. So on the night of the performance, when the time came for the flute solo, the, the, the flutist or the flautist, it, it came in precisely right at the right time, just as it was supposed to. And the light notes, they floated out beautifully right across the whole theater. And suddenly, however, there was a terrible shrieking noise that took place. And the flute went silent. The conductor was upset, to say the least. He was outraged. And at the end of the piece, he rushed over uh, to the stage side to find that poor flute player. Maestro, the, flute said, the flutist said, he, he said, before you say anything, let me tell you exactly what happened. And there's something that you got to know. You're not going to believe it. As you're aware, I came in precisely on time and everything was going beautifully. And then suddenly this enormous stagehand ran up. He grabbed my flute. Then he pushed me back and he snapped at me. He said, shut up, you idiot. Don't you know there's a concert going on here? Surprise. Stagehand should have went to all the rehearsals, I think. And I'm sure like many, there have been times in life when we thought we were doing all the right things and then life suddenly does something different with us and, and then we're as startled as the flautist. It's at these times that we may have been tempted to ask the question, what in the world am I doing here? What, what does it all mean? What is expected from me? What, what does God want out of me? Lord, what direction is best for me to take? And sometimes it's even, it even bleeds right into our spiritual lives. Often in the pages that we read from God's word, we oftentimes see, we, we think, wow, wow. How do I do that in the day that I'm living? How do I do all that the word is telling me to do in the day that we're living? And we may wonder to ourselves, how far do I take this Bible business anyway? You ever thought that? Come on, be honest now. Does he really want me to do that? You've never thought that. I'm in trouble. Hmm. Here's the question for most of us that we've, Ask ourselves at one time or another, how much does God really demand out of me? And of course, the answer can be found to that question in Scripture. There, there may be no fewer verses in the Old Testament or the New Testament that, better, that are better known than Micah 6.8. We, we know it so well. Somebody, I was talking about the, uh, Micah this morning in prayer time, and somebody just, just quickly from memorization just kind of threw it out there. 
It's something that we know very well. And, and reading from God's word today, I direct your attention to the verses 1 through 8 of Micah 6. And let's stand together as we read from God's word, Micah 6, 1 through 8. And it just says this, Hear now what the Lord is saying. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Listen, you mountains, to the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. Of the earth. Be- because the Lord has a case, he has a case against his people. Even with Israel, he will dispute My people, what have I done to you? He asked this question. And how have I wearied you? Answer me, he says. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and ransomed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. My people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. And from Shittim to Gagal, so that you might know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings and yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father, we're grateful and thankful once again. And Lord, it's a a day filled with a lot of things, but we're still left with a question. What do you require of us? What is your will for our lives, Lord? May we hear it in your word this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, there's probably a few reasons, or at least two reasons, why this passage is so well known among the people of God. We, we memorize it well. It, it, it works for us. The first is, is three easy understood sections are kind of easy to follow along which. It just makes it easy to deal with. We are to simply do justice, to love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Nothing fits so well in a three-point sermon. That's why I made four points out of it. So, uh, but, but number two, it deals like this in a simple way with the question that asks uh, of ourselves, that we ask of ourselves at one time or another, what does God want? What does he want me to do? I mean, I'm going to go, you know, the Chiefs are going to win today. I'm going to go to bed tonight. I'm going to get up in the morning. You missed that, didn't you? I'm going to get up in the morning, and he has a plan for what I'm going to do that day. What does he want? What does he expect of me? The beauty of the passage that speaks to us today, it's relevant to the world that we live in today just as it was in Micah's day so we can be confident. You know what? We can still learn from the Old Testament. That's not as popular today as it was 40 years ago. I just want to say we can still learn from the Old Testament. Amen. Little, known as, little is known about the prophet Micah beyond what we can learn from the book itself and from Jeremiah 26, around 18 there. Micah was from the town of Moresheth, probably Moresheth Gath in southern Judah. The the prophecy attests to Micah's deep sensitivity to the social ills of his day, especially as they affected the small towns and the villages of his homeland. We, We can feel that way today as we see people marginalized, we see the poor get poorer. Often the rich get richer, and we don't know how that works in between. There's all kinds of voices that want to tell us, but 
He's concerned about the social ills of his day. The scripture reference here in, in, in the sixth chapter that we most likely would be familiar with was the, the, the do justice and the love kindness and the walk humbly with your God. That's what we're most familiar with. The scripture, it's laid out like this, like a, a court case. Have you seen any court cases lately? None that really give me a lot of encouragement. But, but this scripture's laid out as a court case we can see it here as we start with, number one, the indictment of the people of God. That'll be on your overhead or in your bulletins. The indictment of the people of God. It might be. It's at least in your bulletin. It might be on your overhead. But using a legal jargon, Micah calls upon, the, uh, upon God to, to ra- uh, rise up and plead a case against the guilt of the rebellious people. Sin always brings that kind of tension between God and his people. In this case, in any case that we find ourselves in opposition to the will for our lives, his will over the will of our own for our lives, you want strife between you and your God, then continue to be rebellious and walk in your own ways and not his ways. I can remember that, especially as a young person growing up, even in my church, I found myself at odds with God. It seems like I was constantly wanting to go in the ways that best serve my own interests. What was wrong with me? Wanting to do my own thing, to serve my own interests. It's awfully quiet. You don't remember that? Wanting to do your own thing, your own way, and your own timing, and not thinking much about what God desires of us. God was always lovingly calling me to turn from those ways and to follow his ways. When we do life according to our own human boundaries, we will always find strife with God. We will always feel at odds with him when we walk out of step with what he has for us. Listen to Isaiah 1. Listen, O heavens, it says. Pay attention, earth. This is what the Lord says. The children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. Even an ox knows its owner and a donkey recognizes its master's care, but Israel doesn't know its master. My people don't recognize my care for them. Oh, what a sinful nation they are, loaded down with a burden of guilt. They are evil people, corrupt children who have rejected the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. This was God's people rebelling, not remembering, not thinking it through, not remembering how God has provided for them in so many ways. And at times we have been the ones rebelling and not remembering. I remember, do you remember, kind of doing it, my did it my way. You know what I mean? We, we just kind of do it that way at times. You see, God chases what he loves. God comes to us and he invites us to, to turn or repent and to remember, think about it. Certainly we cannot hide from him. There is no way that we can run from our God. Psalm 139 says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're just, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even where your hand will guide me and your strength, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. He's wherever we are. Micah says, hear now what the Lord is saying. 
Hear what the Lord is saying. The scene is set. You see in our text that we have the mountains. It's the nature's largest realities, permanent, never moving along with the hills and the foundations of the earth. And these are natural monoliths. We have them all around us. They don't change much every year, do they? They're there every year. They've been placed since the beginning of time. They've seen it all. They've, they've been the audience since the beginning, and certainly they can render fair judgment uh, since they've been there forever. It, it, it is these permanent figures that they're called upon as jurors. It is here that God pleads his case. It, it's not the sins of the people that are called out in detail. Aren't you thankful for that? And aren't you glad that God didn't come and bring a full list for everybody to say, oh, I'm so thankful for that. He does not make long and arduous lists of detailed sinful activity. He, he does not make a crafty argument that would trap those that are accused. No, no, he simply asks my people, what have I done? What have I done to you and how have I wearied you? Answer me, he says there in Micah 6, 3. In, in Jeremiah 2, 5 through 8, we hear this from Jeremiah. This is what the word says. What did your ancestors find wrong with me? that led them to stray so far from me. They worshiped worthless idols only to become worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us safety out, safely out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness? You know, remembering, remembering all that God has done in each one of our lives. Remember back, where, where, where are they that, that would have remembered that? They worshiped their idols. Remember that barren wilderness that I brought you from a land of desert and pits where no one lives or even travels and, and when I brought you into faithful uh, fruitful land to enjoy its bounty and its goodness you defiled my land and corrupted the possession that I promised to you the priests God help us the priests did not ask where is the Lord the Lord's not present wouldn't we say where is he where did he go those who taught my word he says ignored me the rulers turned against me and the prophets spoke in the name of Baal, wasting their time on worthless idols. This is the indictment of God's people, straying, not remembering all that he has done for them. We get busy. We fill up our schedules. It's tight. I can't take the time this morning, God. Got to get on the road. We forget who's we are. So number two, the evidence of the case is brought. I have to admit there have been times for myself when traveling my own direction, when I have found myself running my own affairs and causing almost, or, or cruising, cruising along in my own lane, not asking for any assistance from the Lord. And I have found myself at those times in opposition to God. I, I remember one such time that my best friend and I were singing all over Orange County as a duet. I don't know why they booked us, but they did. And we'd go and we'd sing. And we had been doing that a lot and just doing school and going and singing on the weekends and going everywhere we can possibly go to. We found ourselves kind of running our own schedules. We could tell, though, that the presence of God wasn't very strong. Didn't, it seemed kind of far from us. We were on our own, as it were. Oh, certainly God was near, but we had moved into our own lane, kind of running our own lives in a way that was inconsistent with the one that we were singing about. How could it be? How 
could we possibly be singing and serving the one that our lives were seemingly so far from? The case was presented by way of the Holy Spirit pointing it out to us, our wayward ways in our lives one day. And I remember that day we felt overwhelmed. And two 16-year-olds, we didn't know where else to go. We went and broke into the church. <laughs> and we went to the altar and said, Lord, forgive us for doing our own thing. Forgive us for not remembering all that you've done for us and everything that we have in front of us is because of the hand of God in our lives. Here in Micah, the Lord just simply recounts the mighty acts that he's mercifully performed on behalf of his people to bring them out of their slavery into Egypt, in Egypt, to bring them out. He reminds them of his appointment of the God-fearing and faithful shepherds, Moses and Aaron and Miriam, and how he chose them to lead his people to lead the people forward in his loving will and purpose. God has righteously handled the interests of his people, suggesting that each act, every time God did what he did, it was a separate manifestation of God's righteousness in their lives, him working out his will for their benefit. It happens on the occasion that God brought Balaam changing a blessing. What their enemy Balak, king of Moab, designed as a curse God is recalling his interactions with the people. How faithful he has been to them in order that they might know the righteous acts of the Lord. And the natural question for us when confronted with the, the damning or the incriminating evidence is what, what shall we do? What, what do I need to do? And in Micah 6, 8, we see the response. It's a reply that many of us get uh, that, that we might make to stave off the ill effects of the having been found guilty. What do I need to do? That we as they are tempted to return to what we, we kind of know, the road activity, to go back to what it is that we have done before in order to once again find favor with God. And the question is asked with what shall I come to the Lord and how and bow before the God on high. How should I approach him with all this evidence in front of me? You see, we have an indictment. We have the evidence of the case. It's all been laid out. It's not looking good for those that are on trial, and it's usually at this point that offers are made. Perhaps we can make a deal. You've seen it in our, in our land, have you not? In the court systems, maybe we can make a deal. Perhaps we can find a way around this case, offer something that will satisfy both parties. We, we see it in the cases right in our modern day lives. It's frustrating. It, it appears to be corrupt, and there doesn't seem to be any justice that's involved, just money if you have it, just a jumping through of a few hoops that make all the wrongs disappear. In the court case that's playing out, there's number three, the offering of a plea bargain. Don't you just love plea bargains? just makes it all go away for somebody, not for everybody. Oh, how many times have I found myself in trouble with God? <laughs> how often have I found myself not wanting to receive what I should receive for the wayward spiritual crimes that I've committed? How many times have I promised that I'll never do it again? God, oh, please forgive me, Lord. Please wipe away 
this one clean. Oh, Lord, if you'll just get me out of this one, I'll serve you like I've never served you before. I'll do, I'll be, I'll perform only the ways that you prescribe. If you'll just, but just this once or twice or three times, if you'll just get me out of this one thing, what shall I do? I know, I'll do this, I'll pray. Yeah, yeah, I'll pray harder and, 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 and ever harder than ever before. I'll st- hey, I'll study. I'll break open God's word. I'll study. I'll work hard at it, Lord. I'll, I'll study your word. I'll do it more. Hey, how about this? I'll give. I'll give more than I ever thought I ever could give. I'll give you 15%. Well, let's not get crazy about this, Lord. That's what Israel's first response is in our text. Shall I come to God with burnt offerings? How about that, God? Surely that's what God wants. That's what we have learned from the very beginning. Certainly he desires our meticulous observance to the Levitical law. Certainly God would respond favorably to the holocaust of herds and the rivers of oil. Or, hey, better yet, something even closer to home. What could I come up with that God would really take notice that I'm serious this time, something that would really get God's attention and perhaps garner some leniency. Hey, I got an idea. Go get Junior. (laughs) I'll put him out with him. I'm kind of upset with him at this moment. It wouldn't be that big of a deal. Go get him. Shall I present my firstborn, he says, for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? In our day, we think that's ridiculous. Not so ridiculous in their day. You see, like many others since their day, the people of Judah hoped to obtain divine favor by performing external duties. External duties. The people obsessed with doing outward religious acts overlooked the weightier matters of the law. And in trying to make atonement for our own sins, we at times, we've done the same things. Matthew 23, 23 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You see, what God was saying to them is what he says to us today. It's not your stuff that I want. It's not your stuff that I seek. It's not your empty adherence to the law. What I seek is you. God was more concerned about their spirit than about their substance. He was much more anxious about their hearts than about their sacrificial bulls and their goats. Micah then speaking for the Lord, he passes a sentence. A sentence. Number four is life. It's a life sentence. It's not just come in when you can and go out when you have to. It's a life sentence. He, he answers the question in a single sentence. He, he takes everything that has been presented, wraps up all the legal, ethical, and spiritual requirements of this relationship between he and his people, and he points to the principal teachings of Isaiah, Amos, and Hosea. The requirements of a right relationship with their God are, are able to be met They're not able to be met by just anyone. There's something that's required. We often make this life in Christ so difficult, so challenging. We create so many hoops to jump through, so many I's to dot and T's to cross. 
But verse 8 sets it straight, simply and easily understood by all. Simply put, he has told you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? What is your sentence that is just and kind and close to him? Here's the sentence. Do justice. Love, mercy, or kindness. Walk humbly with your God. You ever, you ever been like that? Like, here it comes. And then you go, well, I didn't get what I deserved. I, I didn't get what I thought was coming. One day I was sitting at the kitchen table with my mom. And in those days, they popped us a lot. <laughs> do you know what that means? We'd do something kind of silly or dumb or I don't know what it was, but we'd get popped. I don't know, just pop. And, uh, and so, you know, you're constantly walking around kind of like, everybody's hitting me. Why is everybody hitting me? And one day we were sitting there finishing lunch, and my mom reached over to push my hair out of, out of my face. I went like that. <laughs> and she, she looked at me, and she goes, oh. And I looked at her like, well, then quit hitting me. <laughs> They didn't get what they deserved. I didn't get what I deserved, and you didn't get what you deserved. Thanks be to God. Our text declares that we are to do justice. We are to be truthful, honest, and sincere towards others. That's not so hard. Until your wife says, how do I look in this? You look great. <laughs> she always looks great. We would never lie about such things, right, men? All right. I better move on. We're to be truthful and honest and sincere toward ourselves, towards God, toward, and get this. Now, this is a tough one, towards our civil and business obligations and in all other relationships with mankind. I see such heated, hateful argument. I don't care what party it is or what city you live in or what county you live in or what state. There's so much bitterness that is projected that shouldn't be projected from the people of God. I don't know how else to say it. And I know I'll wake up tomorrow and I'll, I'll be happy that the Chiefs won, but I'll be... It could happen. And I'll be, I'll be scrolling and I'll see more of it. I'll see more of it. The bitterness, the back and forth hatred. I'm done with all that. I just want to pray for them all. God help everybody that, that, that truly believes what they believe and God help them. God lead them. God, God direct them. God guide them. We're to be truthful and honest and sincere towards others, towards God, and towards even civil and business obligations, all of our relationships. Proverbs 21.3 says, The Lord is more pleased when you do what is right and just than when we offer him sacrifices. That's why sometimes when we come in to worship the Lord, he says, eh, just leave that there, go take care of business, and then come back and offer me something. Amos 5, 23 and 24 says, Away with your noisy hymns of praise. 
That hurts my feelings. <laughs> Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. That would be a great one to have in our land. And then Zechariah 8.16 says, but this is what you must do. Tell the truth to each other. Render verdicts in your courts that are just and that lead to peace. You see, it's really very simple. We are to do what is right. You don't have to take your pulse to find out what to, if it's right or not. The Holy Spirit will go, he'll, he'll make sure. Ask, ask, Lord, what's right in this? I know we live in a complicated world, but he'll always have us doing what is right. Do justice. We would fight for others is what he would have for those who cannot fight for themselves. Wherever we see injustice, we should call it out, but we should do so with the love that God has shared in our own lives, never demeaning or cutting others down, but calling for what is right and what is just. If your blood boils at the television, you should ask the Lord about that. Or just watch Gilligan's Island. We should be a help. He says, love, mercy, and kindness. We should be a help to the poor and oppressed, those that are challenged with infirmities and underprivileged. It involves much more than just simply giving to others, which is a good thing. The giving of money and possessions, that's always good. We try and do that all the time around here. In, in mercy and kindness, though, we give of ourselves. We give ourselves to lift and redeem our neighbors. It gets close to home. Who lives near you? Who lives next to you? What kind of help do they need? Sometimes you got to work at that one because we, we're blessed. I mean, we, we have more than we ever dreamed we could have. James 2.13 tells us, There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Finally, we are sentenced to walk humbly with our God. Well, that doesn't hurt. That, really, that's my sentence? That's what's handed down? After all the things that I forgot about and all the, the lane changes I made to do my own thing? Oh, those that are on trial, they know this is, is what God desires. They have heard it from him before. Deuteronomy 10.12 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. You see, the beautiful thing about all this is that God really wants and desires a relationship with each one of us. Notice that he didn't say you must approach me in a, in a prostrate, prostrate format with your face to the ground. He didn't say you must grovel and crawl. No, he, he desire, his desire is that we walk with him humbly. We, we get to walk with our God. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. That's, that's a relationship that we get to have with him. And yes, there are passages that direct us to bow low. And in doing so, we, we acknowledge our own iniquity and our own insufficiency this is our first step in our life of fellowship with God. We must bring down every high thought into some submission. 
to his divine will. And by faith, depend upon the love and the grace of God for salvation. God requires agreement and fellowship with him. Did you get that? You're not going to fight with us. <laughs> he requires agreement and fellowship. Amos 3.3, 3, it says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? You see, the best of mankind are but mankind at the best. We all must have a divine life implanted in our hearts through Christ. It's a walking alongside that is based upon faith and manifested by love. Loving and serving those that he loves. James 1.27 says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Wesleyan Methodist minister Samuel Chadwick summarizes our doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with our Lord. He says this, The solution to our modern problems as those of Micah's days will not be found in legislation or machinery. It tells you how far back that is. Or even the internet or Facebook or any of the other social networks. It won't be found there. But in, real, in realizing the sufficiency of God, Realizing that he is all sufficient. No greater permanent solution to social problems has ever been reached without religious influence. And the only way it is to get back to God is to go to the house of the Lord and there find the power to do justice, to love mercy, and to humbly walk with our God. Then, then will be found the true bond of brotherhood. People of God, the charge has been made. The indictment has been handed down. The evidence of the case has been presented and we've attempted at times to plea to a lesser crime to no avail. The sentence has been passed down. It's life. There's no weaving in and out of this one. The sentence is life. A life of doing justice, loving mercy or kindness and walking humbly with our God under the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives, serving Christ and loving people. It's not, if not us, the song said, then who? If not us, then who? Are we waiting for another church? Are we waiting for another whatever? If not us, then who? If not me and you right now, it's really time for us to do something, to do justice, to do what is right, to love mercy and kindness and to walk humbly with our God. It's a theme that will be played out this year as an emphasis in our Word Walk World Mission Statement, world being ministry and missions. How do we reach out and touch others right next door to us, right down the street, somewhere in our town, as well as regional and international? How are we meeting the needs of those that need us? Do justice, do what is right, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Stand with me, will you? Father, the case has been laid out. I'm guilty. Guilty as charged, Lord. But thank you for the grace of God. Thank you for not bringing a 
detailed list of all my failures. Thank you for giving me direction of how I am to go forward. May we catch the wind of that, Lord, as a people of God here at Tinez. That we are here to touch other people. We are here to meet the needs, to, to do what is right with others, to, to love mercy, to love kindness, acts of kindness to others, Lord. And walking humbly with our God. What a great relationship. What a trade. It's not even a trade, Lord. What a gift. Thank you, Lord, for not giving us what we deserve, but giving us your perfect plan for our lives. Thank you for these, your people who love you. And we want to serve you. We want to walk rightly before you. So, Lord, we commit to that this day. Bless these as we go from here today. Bring us together this afternoon for a great time of fellowship together. We give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.